Welcome to another gospel message from St. Luke's Anglican Church, Clovelly. Well, it's a sunny spring morning and he's at the beach with his small daughter. They're exploring the rock pools and she's searching, you know, blissfully for crabs in the crevices, you know, chattering to them and rearranging their social lives. And without noticing it, she's moved further and further under the overhang of a rock that's just nearby. And suddenly she hears a noise and she stands bolt upright straight into the underside of the rock and smacks her head against the rock, the sharp needles of pain impacting the top of the skull there. And she wails, and then she tries not to wail, and then she wails some more, a scream almost. And so he runs across to her, feeling this swirl of responses. The ghosts of his entire ancestry sort of spring up amongst him as they offer things to say in response to what's just happened. You stupid kid, why weren't you more careful? Oh, come on, it's not that bad. Toughen up. Stop making such a racket. Or maybe, oh jeez, it's my fault. I should have been more careful. I should have been watching more closely. What's your mother going to think? But instead of saying any of those things, on this occasion, instead he scoops up his daughter into this enveloping hug and just holds her. And she relaxes into her arms and he rubs her head just to ease the pain a little bit. She calms down and as they're walking back to the car, her hand slips into his and he feels good, pleased that just this once Maybe he got it right. Now, as I read that story, which is not my story, it's a story by Steve Bidolf in a book that he wrote, it hit me, me kind of hard that Father's Day, a day like today, is a day that's full of emotion. And you could hear that story as a dad of young kids like I am, and you could be thinking to yourself, well, you know, I've done pretty well. If I was in that situation, I would have done a similar thing, or maybe... I didn't do the same thing and I feel like I messed it up. You could hear that story and feel the joy or maybe the sadness as you remember the way that your father dealt with you or maybe still deals with you. Or maybe a story like that on a day like today is just full of pain for you. You feel the, the sting of loss because your father's no longer around. Maybe you long to be a father or a parent yourself. And that hasn't happened for you. Maybe you feel grief or bitterness towards your dad. And we're all children of earthly parents and no one has ever got it right. And in our modern age, here's what Sue Palmer writes about parenting. She says most parents are frantically doing their best in a world where the goalposts are not just moving, but they've completely disappeared in a world of tumultuous change, confidence is thin on the ground. And that rang true for me because there are so many people who want to have so many things to say, whether it's a book or a blog or a post or a tweet or something to say into the lives of parents. But how do you know which ones are right, which ones you should listen to? And what we're doing over these few weeks in this series in Colossians, going deep into, into different uh, areas of life, 
is thinking about what God has to say about these very practical areas of life, about marriage and singleness and parenting and mission and community and all those things. That God speaks and the Bible speaks into these very nitty-gritty things of our life. And today we're especially thinking about how the gospel speaks into parenting, but it's a bigger thing than that. It's a bigger thing than that. You see, as we're working through this book, if you, if you let parenting be the biggest thing in your life, then you'll have missed the point. You see, this whole idea comes in the context of what Paul's been saying in Colossians so far. And I just want to just set the frame for what we're thinking about today by taking us back to chapter 1. So have a look at these words on the screen. Chapter 1, where Paul writes to the Colossians and he prays that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. You see, Paul's prayer for the Colossians is they might, they might bear fruit, that they might walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Because God has a bigger vision of life than just family life. Because kids and parents aren't the center of the universe. Jesus is. Have a listen to this in Colossians 1, 19 and 20 where Paul writes, For in him, in Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. You see, because Jesus is the center of the universe, what that means is that your primary identity is not that you're a mum or a dad, if that's you. It's not that you're a child of your parents but that if you know Jesus, you're a son or a daughter of God. That's your primary identity. Someone who's been brought into the family of God by the work of his son, Jesus. Now we're going to come back and think about that a little bit later. But knowing those things helps us to see that parents are to keep the big picture in mind. If you've got an outline on the way in, thinking about God's vision for children and parents, And the first thing that Paul says in Colossians 3 verse 20 there is this. He says, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Now, as Paul wrote these words, and children under Roman law were considered the property of their father. A child under age in this society was no better off than a slave. And so it's an extraordinary thing that children themselves are given the dignity of being spoken to directly. You can imagine there if you were sitting there in that lounge room, which is probably the likely scenario, they were sitting there listening to this letter being read out, the Colossian church as they gathered, families presumably around and this being read out, kids listening in and parents listening in to these words as well. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Do you notice what Paul says? Obey your parents in everything, not doing it begrudgingly, but to obey in everything. Now, the assumption is that parents will be parents who deal wisely and kindly with their children. But there's a reason this can be a challenge, and I can testify to this. This is a challenge that children don't always obey. Your children aren't just bundles of joy, although that's the way we like to talk about them, you know, when they arrive, a little bundle of joy. But it's not always like that, and nor has it always been like that. Yeah, at the start of the Bible, you know, that story didn't go exactly like this, did it? You know, Adam and Eve 
are there in the garden and, and they get married and God tells them, hey, be fruitful and multiply. And so what do they do? Well, they, they book a room into Chateau de Eden and they have a nice night together, some chocolate dipped strawberries and some champagne. And then nine months later, you know, parental bliss. It's beautiful, but that's not how it goes, is it? You know, those first children that are born, Cain and Abel, one of them kills the other. It's not exactly, you know, the best outcome for those new parents, is it? Now, over in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul says children are to obey their parents in the Lord. As it is written, honor your father and your mother, uh, quoting from the Old Testament there. Now, it's worth thinking about right now the fact that that all of us are children of our earthly parents. We're the children of our parents until they die. And while it's only dependent children, I think Paul's talking about, are required to obey, those who are under the roof, under the, in the family home, all of us, no matter our age or circumstance, are to honour our parents. Now, this can be difficult for a whole bunch of reasons for us, can't it? It may be that you have a terrible relationship with your parents. And if that's the case, I think what that means for you is trying not to rub salt into the wounds to make things worse than they need to be. Now, there is grace and forgiveness and hope found in Jesus who wipes the slate clean. Now, for those of you who have aging parents, and I'm sure there's a few of you here this afternoon in that boat, that means that you'll make sure that they are looked after as they age, as they need your help. And some of you will know that just about six weeks ago or so, Larissa, who's uh, my wife, her mum had some very serious life-threatening abdominal issues and needed serious surgery. But for us to honour her, what that meant for us was saying, hey, do you know what? We realise that this recovery is going to be a, a slow process. Come and live with us while we try and care for you. Larissa's pureeing food and there's pumpkin soup going everywhere. It's, it was tough in lots of ways, but only small in comparison to a lifetime. But that was our part in trying to honour her as she needed us at this time. And so children are to obey their parents in everything, unless that's in competition with obeying Jesus. And some of you who are children here amongst us who are living in your family's home. Listen to what Jesus says in Luke chapter 14. He says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. What's, what's he saying in that verse? Is he saying that you should just go out and hate on them? You know, like, is that what he's saying here? Well, no, the, the way that Jesus uses that word hate in this context is, is that one party is disadvantaged over another. That to love Jesus is to love him above all other relationships. And what that means is that Jesus has to be first. And for Christian children, obeying their parents... Well, they obey up until the point where their parents ask them to do something that Jesus would not approve of. And so children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this pleases him. But parents, well, parents that to love their kids and to nourish faith. Have a look at me at verse 21 of Colossians 3 there. Verse 21. It says, Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Now, I've got to say just a couple of quick things here. That word fathers there in Colossians 3.21 could be translated as parents, right? So it says 
parents do not provoke your children. You could translate it like that. Although it's interesting in the previous verse, verse 20, what he says there is, you know, children obey your parents. There's a very deliberate word for parents there. But in this verse, it's kind of a broader term. Now, it's interesting that he uses that word. Most likely, it's fathers. And I think he uses that word so that, well, remember that context that I mentioned before? In the first century, fathers had an enormous authority over their family, over the household. You know, the kids and the the wife and the slaves and everyone else that was in the family. They had enormous authority. But here, Paul doesn't speak about authority. He speaks about responsibility. And they're instructed not to provoke their children to anger, not to irritate or exasperate or embitter them. Now, what does that mean for parents And I think especially for fathers. Well, if you're a father here this afternoon, or you're a parent here this afternoon, let me give you 12 ways that if you were trying to exasperate your children, you could do that, right? Here are 12 ways I'm going to give you to not follow. You could exasperate your children by constantly making and breaking promises to them. You could embitter them by doing that, couldn't you? By using crushing or excessive discipline that humiliates your child. Or disciplining them when you're angry and like right up in the heat of the moment. You can exasperate kids by being inconsistent. You know, having rules that change from day to day. Kids never know what's right. How can I ever please you, Dad? Or maybe by incessant nagging about petty tasks. Maybe by giving qualified love. I'll love you if... You know, you can't give unqualified love, can you? Maybe it's embarrassing your children in front of your friends or in front of theirs. Maybe it's not spending time with them, having fun with them because career or fun takes precedence for you. Maybe it's being one thing at home but being a hypocrite, being another thing to the world. Maybe it's asking the impossible of your children. You know, expecting your four-year-old to behave like they're a ten-year-old. And if you're not sure how a four-year-old or a ten-year-old is meant to behave, then well, maybe ask your wife if that's appropriate or ask someone else, another dad that's in the same boat as you. You could exasperate your children by showing favoritism, by choosing one over the other, showing more love to one over another. Well, this is a good one, right? You can exasperate your children by never being willing to say, I'm sorry, I got it wrong. Now, Paul's instruction here is to not provoke your children to anger. That's how you can love the Lord your God. But I also want to take a step wider because Paul's instruction here is the negative one, right? Don't provoke your children to anger. But there is more to say in the Bible about how to raise Christian children. Now, I chose this word very particularly because it gets used in a bunch of different places. But the, the, the job of Christian parents is to nourish faith in their children. That Old Testament reading that we had this afternoon, just listen to the words again from Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Do you know what? You can't nourish faith if you don't love God yourself, if your heart hasn't been changed. It's one of those things that I've had to, I reckon, learn the hard way a little bit. 
But it's really important for my kids to be able to see me read the Bible and listen to me pray for them and for other things. To let them know that I'm sinful and that I make mistakes and that I need forgiveness too. But Deuteronomy 6 goes on. Listen to what it says. Listen to this, uh, the different ways that this plays out. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign in your hands and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Look at that picture of life. You know, just the everyday humdrum, every, everyday moments of life that's described in Deuteronomy 6. Do you know what? Teaching children diligently doesn't just happen by accident. You don't just fall into diligence. You've got a plan for that to happen. Now, I've got to say that, that these kinds of things, uh, part of it does mean sitting down, if you have children, and reading an appropriately aged Bible with them. You know, praying with them. And that's one essential part of, I reckon, raising Christian children because God's Word speaks into their lives. But I've got to say that that's really tough. Now, Larissa and I are both trained children's ministers, right? We've both been through Bible college, but we still find this really hard. And if that's you, then take courage because it's hard for everyone. But if for some reason that has slipped off the radar like it does for us at times, let me encourage you to just get back on the card and keep going with it. I also want to say don't give over your role as the primary spiritual influence on your kids to the kids' church leaders next door. They do a fantastic job, but it's not their job to teach your kids about Jesus all the time. It's your job. Our job here at church is to support and partner with you. That's what we're here to do. And if you happen to have kids that go to a Christian school, it's not the school's job to raise Christian children. It's your job. They're partnering with you as well. Now, if you're not sure how to do that, you're thinking to yourself, oh, how, how does this work? There's a whole bunch of resources or a few resources listed on your page uh, just there. And there's also some resources on our website that we've uh, produced or seminars that we've put on. I just finished reading this book. I'm just going to plug one resource to you while I'm speaking here for those of you who are parents. This is a relatively new book. It's called Big Picture Parents. It's written by a lady named Harriet O'Connor. I found this a really helpful book. It's only short. It took me maybe two hours to read uh, this is a very helpful book to help you see the big picture of parenting. But I've got to say that some of the most useful, the most memorable, teachable moments for our children haven't been sitting down and reading the Bible with them, as good as those things are. It's been the Deuteronomy 6 kind of stuff, the everyday life, having your eyes open to the way that God's at work in the world. Let me give you just one example. Uh, about two years ago, I was, you know, very dutifully on the way down to the Coogee shops, the Woolies uh, at Coogee, and I just had to buy two litres of milk. It was a pretty simple task. But as I was getting into uh, the car park there, it's a pretty tight car park, and we have a relatively big car, and I managed to crash our car right into one of the poles, you know, the big pole on, there's a yellow paint on the side of the car, scrapes all the way along, uh, kind of one door panel. That was a very expensive bottle of milk, right? And when I got home, I, I walked in the house and I've got the milk there and I say, say to Larissa, oh, look, I just crashed the car. And she's like, what? You've crashed the car? Are you okay? It was nice that she checked that, right? And the kids are like, what? You crashed the car? And so we, they run out and, and they say, like, why did you crash the car, Dad? 
Now, I was feeling really annoyed because, like I said, a very expensive bottle of milk. And, and I said, look, I, I didn't mean to. I made a mistake. And our daughter, Imogen, uh, she's a really compassionate child. She came up and she kind of put her hand on, on, my, sh- well, on my leg, I think it probably was. And she said, okay, look, it's all right, Dad. I reckon it looks heaps better with racing stripes. And I'm like, oh, you know, God bless you, child. And then Isaac says, no, Dad, that looks much, much worse. And oh, the heart sinks, you know, right? For them, at that moment, it was one of those times where I realized that I'm not usually the one that they see making a mistake. And it's really important for them to know that. Sometimes we make mistakes on accident. Other times we do it on purpose, even as adults. But in the Bible, God is so good to us. He's so kind that he forgives us. And that is an incredibly powerful moment in the lives of our kids because they need to know that from us, don't they? There are some amongst us here who are either single parents or who have a spouse that doesn't believe. And I want to say that this, uh, this stuff that I've just been talking about is incredibly difficult. It's, it's really hard if you've got two parents on the same page, but if there's only one of you trying to do this, then I want to say that you, you are awesome. And I, what you're doing is, I think, an incredibly amazing thing. If there are ways as a church that we can help you, then please, we would love to know how we can better help you do that. But I just want to say two things. The first thing is never cease. Just keep on praying that God would use your efforts uh, to work in the lives of your children. And be encouraged by the story of Timothy in the Bible. You know, Paul writes those letters to Timothy, but Timothy heard the gospel from his mother and from his grandmother. Presumably his dad wasn't in the picture or didn't know Jesus. But from infancy, he heard the word of Christ and grew up to be an incredible evangelist. What an incredible way that the prayers of his mum and grandma were answered in his life. But secondly, let me encourage you to to seek to have relationships with other families, other role models uh, that can be a a positive example to your children. Some of the things that you long to be modelled in the home can be seen in the lives of others, which is why God's given us this family, not just our individual families. What that means for those of you who have, you know, two Christian parents at home, if if that's your stage of life, and for others as well, is to look out for those who are in need to try and include them and chat about some of these things. Now, there are some of you here who uh, aren't able to have children of your own for whatever reason. There are some who are godparents and aunties and uncles here amongst us as well. Let me say to you that one of the most loving things that you can do for the kids and families in your life is really to pray for them. And I've got to say that I really covet your prayers for us and for our kids, and I'm sure many other parents do. And thanks, Emily, for praying for us this afternoon on that front. I pray that God's vision for families might be seen in the lives of kids and families in, at St. Luke's. And we're thankful for the ways that many have taken an interest in our kids to be part of that process of helping them know Jesus. And those who have kids need to keep on thinking of ways to include those who, for whatever reason, aren't able to have them or are not at that stage of life yet. Now, we'll be particularly thinking about singleness in a few weeks, and that'll be a really important time for all of us as well. 
And there are some here this afternoon who also have children who have grown up and have chosen not to follow Jesus. And I want to say to you this afternoon, this is an incredibly difficult thing to go through. It's really hurtful. But I do want to say to you, please just keep on being patient and praying that your kids would know the Lord Jesus. Praying for opportunities to show them the love of God and to speak the love of God into their life. After addressing a few different people, it's pretty clear, isn't it, that you don't have to look very far to notice the way that family, family relationships are far from perfect. We all live with the effects of our own parents on our, life, on our lives, and children and parents don't always get it right, which is exactly why we need to think about the fatherhood of God. Now, most parents live with this incredible sense of guilt about the way that they've done their job, about the way that they've messed it up. Sometimes they got it right. Now, I've read a lot of parenting books. Partly, that's part of the job of being a family's minister. You kind of read parenting books. People give them to you, and I'm like, yeah, I'll read, I'll read that. Also, to try and be a better parent myself. And it's interesting the way that lots of those parenting books talk about parents who are both warm and firm towards their kids. You know, they have some backbone. And not too permissive, but nor are they authoritarian, kind of bringing everything down on their kids. Parents who have a strong relationship with their children, who, who don't shy away from discipline, but do, such, do that in a, a way that's going to be helpful to guide their children into a positive way of life, to help their kids to live lives of love. But I want to say to you this afternoon that being, being a better parent, the primary thing for you to do isn't to just go and read more parenting books or blogs or Facebook posts or whatever it is, but to look at the fatherhood of God, the perfect father. Have a listen to these words from John chapter 1. So we read this, But to all who did receive Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, not of blood nor the will of, will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You see, these incredible verses, that's to all who believed in Jesus. God gives the right to become his children, not because we deserve it, but because of his grace, his undeserved kindness. And even when we know we've messed up as parents or messed up as kids, we can know that we're loved and part of the family of God because of his perfectly obedient son. Jesus, who comes from heaven to earth, and who lives the life of perfect obedience, doing his Father's will, even to the point of death. And because, you see, it's in Jesus' death on the cross that he provides the way for us to be forgiven for all the ways that we failed as parents or as kids. For all the ways we failed God as our Heavenly Father. And it's in and through the death of Jesus we can know that God is a God who is our loving Father. A father who disciplines you because he loves you. A father who, who passes on his wisdom to you so you know how to live with wisdom in this world. A father who longs to know you and to listen to your prayers. A father who loves you and provides for you. A father who stopped at nothing to save you. And I've got to say, on a day like today, on Father's Day, we need to know that father, don't we? Let me pray for us. 
Oh, Father in heaven, we thank you so much that we can call on you as our heavenly Father because of the work of your Son, Jesus. And we thank you for his perfect obedience on our behalf that we might know you and call on you as Father and be forgiven for the times that we've messed it up. Father, we thank you today for, for parents, for the way that they've raised us. And Father, we, we thank you for the opportunity for those of us who are parents to raise children who know and love Jesus. We pray, Father, that as a, as a family of God here together, that we would live lives that are pleasing to you and that we would call on your name for your help. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about St. Luke's Anglican Church, please visit www.clovelly.org.au.